Gospel reading on this Baptism of the Lord Sunday is the account of Jesus' baptism according to the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter beginning with the 15th verse. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. The people were waiting expectantly, and they were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then moving to verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon title today is Scratch the Orange. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that you might awaken our senses. That we might not just hear the good news, but that we might feel it. That we might smell it. That we might taste its sweetness on our tongue. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, the words spoken this day might be glorifying to you, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The storyteller Joel Ben-Izzi tells of the time when he was 12 years old riding on a public bus in the suburbs of Los Angeles. Really, it was the suburbs of the suburbs of Los Angeles where he grew up, Uh, one of those places where there are streets everywhere, and they all seem to lead only one place, the highway. He grew up there in Los Angeles, and as then, as now rather, as it was then, cars in that place are these almost sacred objects. Everyone needs a car, it seems. Public transportation is looked down upon as being this sort of lesser way of getting around. But as a 12-year-old, you don't have many options. And so the bus was his option to get to go to those places that he wanted to go. And so he found himself riding the city bus one day. It was hot and muggy as the bus crawled through traffic. It was completely empty when he got on, and so as an act of almost silent protest, he walked to the one row of seats that's reserved for the handicapped and the elderly, and he sat down there. 
And sure enough, the next stop, the bus pulled to the curb, and this older man, ancient to the 12-year-old, seemed to be about 100 years old, climbed aboard that bus. And he fished through his pockets to find the right amount of change, and he slowly doled it out to the driver to pay his fare, and he began shuffling down the center aisle, the center aisle of a completely empty bus, until he came to the row with that young boy, and he looked down at him as if to say, are you going to make room? And the boy somewhat reluctantly scooted over closer to the window, and this old man sat down next to him. The bus started up again. It pulled away from the curb and rejoined traffic. The man, not long after, reached into the bag he was carrying, and he pulled out an orange. And he just looked at it for a long time in silence. And then finally he said to the young boy seated next to him, What do you think? And the boy said, I think it's an orange. The old man considered it a little bit longer and said, yeah, but what do you think of it? And he handed the orange to the boy, and the boy held it for a while and turned it over in his hands. And finally he said, I think it's an orange. The old man said, you don't understand, do you? You see, I'm, I'm not from around here. I actually came to Los Angeles after the war from Germany. Have you learned about the war? Yeah, the boy said. We've, we've learned about the war in school. The old man perked up a little bit, and he said, oh, good, you have. He said, did you, did you learn about the place that I came from in Germany, a place called Auschwitz? The boy said, yeah, yeah. I read an article about Auschwitz, and the old man got even more excited, and he said, yeah, yeah, you've read about Auschwitz. Did the article, did it tell you that Auschwitz was black and white? The boy said, well, the photos, they were black and white, but I'm, I'm sure the place, the place was color. And the old man said, no, no, it wasn't. At Auschwitz, everything was black and white. The guards' uniforms, they were, they were black. And the shoes that they wore, they were polished most of the time, black. And if you looked down in, the only reflection you would see back was this ghost, this, this white face staring back. The fence, he continued, the fences were all black, and the sky, it was, it was gray, and it would snow sometimes, and it turned everything white, and then the next day, out of the smokestacks would come ash and turn everything gray. The thing I remember most, the old man said, though, was that even the food, even the food at Auschwitz was gray. You see, they take these big 
cauldrons of boiling water and they would drop eight or nine potatoes into it and they would boil it until they completely dissolved and then they would spoon this potato water out into our black bowls and you were so lucky he said you were so lucky if you just happened to get a little bit of actual potato in your bowl that was life he said at Auschwitz it was black and white we worked during the day and then we ate our gray soup and we we tried to stay warm And one of the days he said, I was going out doing what I did to stay warm, which was looking for paper. Because if you could find paper, you could stuff it into your shoes or into your black and white uniform to stay just a little warmer. And one of these days I was out around the fence looking for paper and I I noticed this, this piece of paper, newspaper it looked like, sitting on the ground, but it looked like it was holding something within it. And I got close to it, and I leaned down, and I gently unwrapped it. And my eyes, my eyes couldn't believe what I was looking at. And I just sat there, and I I stared at it for what seemed like an eternity, and I looked around, and I quickly knelt down and picked it up and I hid it in my uniform because this was the kind of thing someone could kill you for. And I hustled back to my barracks and I hid it in a crack in the wall. That night I went back to that crack and I pulled it out and I held that orange in my hands. I marveled at it. You have to understand, he told the 12-year-old boy, I was so hungry. For six months, all I had eaten was potato water, and here I held this orange. But I knew that if I ate it, I would have nothing. And so instead, that night, I took my fingernail and I scratched the skin of that orange. And I closed my eyes and I brought my fingers to my nose and I, I breathed in. And suddenly I wasn't in Auschwitz anymore. I was free. I was in the place they called Palestine. My cousin, he explained, moved to Palestine before the war and he had written me this, this letter And he said in this letter that here in Palestine we grow oranges. And the fragrance of these oranges, it fills the air. You smell oranges everywhere you go. It is the smell of freedom, my cousin had written. And I sat there with my eyes closed in that place of freedom. And when I opened my eyes again, I was back in Auschwitz. I told myself that I would not eat that orange until a very bad day. I put it back in the crack in the wall, and each night I pulled it out, and I scratched that skin again, and I smelled it, and I went to somewhere else. 
As it happens, he continued, you didn't have to wait long for a bad day in Auschwitz. Not long after I had found that orange, there was a selection where everyone in the camp was put into one long line. And at the front of the line stood a soldier with a rifle and a bayonet at the end. And he would stand there at the front of the line and he would say one of two things to you. He would say, left And you would go to the showers. And no one who ever went to the showers came back. Or he would look at you and he would say, right? And you go back to your barracks. And so that day when I came to the front of that line, that soldier looked at me. And almost as casually as giving directions to a stranger on the street corner, he said, Right? And I went back to my barracks. That night I I gathered those who were around me and I took out that orange. And they all looked at it the same way I had looked at it the first day that I saw it. They marveled at this orange. You see, they, they had forgotten the color of the orange. And I passed it around and one by one they held it and turned it over in their hands and they passed it to the next person and when it came back to me I peeled it and I I gave a section of that orange to each person. I shared it. And when I ate mine I closed my eyes and he said to this 12-year-old boy he said I swear nothing before and nothing since has ever tasted so sweet. It was he said the taste of freedom. It was the taste of hope. There's a photo that hangs in my office about eye level. It's the photo that is copied for you on the front of your bulletin today. It's a picture of a very old baptismal font in a very old church in Guatemala. It was given to me by a friend, a mentor in ministry. And you'll note at the bottom that she wrote for me three words. She said, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. What do you remember about your baptism? I was four or five years old when I was baptized at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Dayton, Ohio. My memories are sort of fuzzy of it. I suspect many here were baptized even younger than that age, and you rely on the stories of parents or grandparents to tell you about your baptism, about how peaceful you were there in the arms of the pastor, or how you screamed bloody murder, to tell you the stories about how the pastor forgot your name when the baptism came, or someone noticed that the member of the vestry forgot to actually put water into the baptismal font for the baptism. In our family, there's the story of my niece who was baptized in a small 
Catholic chapel in the north woods of Minnesota. The father had apparently told his vestry to make sure the water wasn't too cool before the service began. And so you can imagine the alarm my, my brother and sister-in-law had on their faces when they stood there with their infant child in their arms and looked at this font with steam coming up <laughs> off the water. Fortunately, there was a case of Dasani, I guess, in the chapel, and they just started dumping water into the holy water to cool it down. Maybe you were older, though, when you were baptized. Maybe you really can remember the feel of that water on your head, how you had to lean down for the pastor to to reach the crown of your head, or how you were dunked beneath the surface. Maybe you remember the faces that were out there in the pews that day as you were baptized. Remember your baptism. Maybe you don't think about it at all. That's okay. Or maybe you haven't been baptized yet. If you want to talk about being baptized, come find me after church. I'd love to talk to you. It's really interesting to me in our gospel reading today that Luke... Luke seems to remember Jesus' baptism differently than all the other Gospels. All the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark in particular, seem very concerned about making clear who baptizes Jesus. That John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, but John the Baptist isn't Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, John the Baptist is not. Luke doesn't seem as concerned with that detail In fact, if you read the two or so verses we skipped over, you'll find that in Luke's account, John the Baptist is already in prison by the time Jesus is baptized. Luke says simply that after the others had been baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And a voice from heaven came saying, This is my son, whom I love. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. When Luke reaches down and picks up and unwraps and scratches the surface of the memory of Jesus' baptism, there's only one thing that he really seems to notice. Love. This is my son, whom I love. Jesus is loved by God. In Luke's mind, that is the most important thing that we take away when we remember Jesus' baptism. And it's not a love that began at the moment of baptism, right? It doesn't say that this is my son, who now I love. This is my son, whom I've always loved. Nor is it a love that will fade as the memory of this event fades into the history of time. Jesus is simply loved, ever and always. And on baptism of our Lord's Sunday, what we proclaim is that just as God loved Jesus, God loves us as well. 
You know, we cannot know the suffering. We can't even come close to knowing the suffering of a place like Auschwitz. But what I do know, what I do know from day in and day out with people like us, is that there are still a whole lot of colorless places. Colorless places in this world, colorless places in this community, and colorless places in the lives of some of us here today. Remember your baptism. Scratch that orange. Be freed in the knowledge that you are loved. And then share it. Share it. Say yes to serving. In just a few moments, we'll ordain and install our new officers. These are people who have felt God's love and who say yes now to sharing it with others. Be compassionate. Help the stranger. Stand for what is right. Give someone a hug. How about we start there? Be the people who remember your baptism and because you remember, you can look into the eyes of others and look past that fear and see reflected there the image of a font and the love, the ever and always love that it represents. Remember your baptism. Scratch the orange. Breathe it in, and then breathe it out for others. That night, after sharing his orange, the old man told the young boy that he gathered up those peels and he hid them away. And every night until the war ended and Auschwitz was liberated, he would pull those orange peels out and he'd smell them. That orange, he told the boy, that orange, it saved my life. And with that, the bus pulled to the curb and the old man stood. He gathered his things before he headed for the door, he turned to that boy and he said to him, Young man, remember. Remember the sweet things in life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.